Northwest industry in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. God's going down, God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Week three is here. Clemson has vanquished its highest-ranked opponent of the season. Nuke and Deshaun still got it. Clemson are your defending national champions. Life is good. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Cody. And we are here to recap the Texas A&M game and do a post-week two check-in on the Clemson Tiger football season. Cody, been a while since we've been on the airwaves together. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. You've been interviewing all the STS guys and um, actually getting some real insight from knowledgeable people. So we appreciate all the, all the good work you do with them uh, while we just kind of go off at the mouth during our normal pod. You know, we got to have a mix on this show and I feel like uh, it's good. We, we certainly put our, our time in on, among the podcast quartet here, podcast quartet with our season preview stuff. So like you said, it was good to mix it up a little bit with the STS guys. Uh, appreciate Ryan, Tom, Alex and Matt coming on. Um, they're all doing great stuff with writing over at shakingthesouthland.com. I know where I haven't been able to do a ton of reflection and rewatching the games myself. Uh, it's been great to pick up on their content over there. But um, how about for you? I mean, you know, I know you kind of peruse a lot of the Clemson media landscape, but just with where this team is right now, defending national champs, two in the last three, I mean, do you really feel like for yourself, are you? are you as glued to the coverage and kind of wanting to know what happened or I don't know, kind of where are you on the, that's a, no, that's a really good, it's a really good question because when Deshaun Watson, when that era begun, we weren't, we wanted to know, you know, how we could get to the next level, get to the elite elite offense. And the beginning of 2015, he was coming off the ACL. It was really just rugged and ugly. And we're like, what the heck's going on? 16, we come, out of, we come out of the gates really slow and sluggish, maybe a little bit of a hangover from the, the championship run the previous year. And it's like, what the heck is going on? So we felt the need to constantly dissect, like look at, you know, looking at Alex Kraft and the Kraken and all those guys play, uh, play-by-play analysis. But now it's just kind of like, you know, you can't take much of anything from any one game aside from, you know, Clemson's pretty darn good. That's what we know so far. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think that there is a fair amount to already kind of look through across the, you know, the spectrum of this team and um, still to evaluate, still to nitpick, if you want to call it that, but you're just in a different spot potentially. And it's a little bit more like finding answers to the questions of why, why they're sluggish so far, you know, back to the 2016 season or 2015, like how sustainable is this and kind of looking for, you know, answers in the tea leaves a little bit, or that's really when I started to get into the advanced stats game was figuring out like Clemson looks pretty good, handled Notre Dame, you know, handled its opponents that year. But what do the experts say? What do the stats nerds say? But uh, for this year, I have actually felt like there's actually a, a little bit of a shortage or shortcoming of some of the stats out there as well. Bill Connolly, he's moved from SB nation where he was very open and transparent with a lot of his sharing of stats. He had spreadsheets you could access throughout the week uh, now he's over at ESPN. He's publishing two, three articles a week, but not as much some of the, the ec- extracurricular stuff um, that we all liked to look at. So that's definitely a loss. I, I do like his writing, but um, it's a little harder to stay informed, I think, from the statistical standpoint. So tell me, is, is Football Outsiders, is S&P rating still going to be a thing? Please tell me. It's, frankly, it's the only poll I trust, and I think, it, I think it's the best. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but I think it's the best. It has been for the last, I don't know, what, 10 years? Yeah, there's only FEI ratings, which is uh, Brian Framo, and then there's F plus, which is was a combination of SP plus or S and P plus and the FEI, um, which is interesting. So he must they must get bills to feed into that, but I don't necessarily know that they're going to be uh, publishing bill stats over there. That must be a, some terms related to his ESPN uh, employment, but. All that aside, I mean, there's still kind of some analytics out there that you can find and look through. Um, and what's nice is Bill has been taking some screenshots. Like he has the Clemson A&M advanced box score up on his Twitter feed. Like he's still producing those. He's snapshotting that and, and posting it. So you can kind of get a glimpse. But um, in general, when data is a little harder to access, it's, you know, makes it makes it tougher to do analysis for this kind of thing. 
I, I think in the world of like hot takes and everyone's kind of trying to sell you something, including like ESPN and, and the ACC network, the SEC network, just having like just good data is like, that's, there's truth in it. And I think that's why people have moved. I, I think fans especially have really gravitated towards it. But even in baseball, like it's a big thing. Yeah, I agree. I think what I've found myself doing is gravitating a little more toward um, listening to podcasts, listening to people that spend most of their day watching, reading, dissecting football, uh, figuring out kind of where they are on the respective teams. I find that's most useful for national teams and, you know, the leaders elsewhere in other conferences. But um, all that aside, it's kind of a, uh, you know, football landscapes go. There's never been more content to consume. You know, there's definitely more out there to read than there are hours in the day to do it. So, um, and I would say the Clemson media landscape is about as healthy as it's been. There's incredible coverage. There's new podcasts out there that um, Grace Rayner and Nicole Auerbach have one on The Athletic. Um, that's a really good one so far. Um, there's obviously Larry Williams in the Dubcast. And then um, the 4th and 16 podcast with Ellis Tolbert. I also like that one. So we're obviously plugging other podcasts on our podcast. Um, I don't know. I think these are all worth Clemson fans' time. And they all kind of give you something different, right? I feel like people aren't coming to us for coverage on what happened in practice the other day or what a coach had as a quote, you know, we're coming at this from a fan analysis standpoint and the occasional interview. Right. 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 And I, I hear you on the, on the podcast. Like I do listen to Larry Williams. He has some really good interviews. I think he spends like, like half of his podcast um, going through like the inner workings of being a journalist, a sports journalist, which is kind of cool. And then probably like the other half or so covering Clemson, which is, which I, I find that I find the latter more interesting, but I think they're both pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to get that extra glimpse of inside baseball of, you know, journalists, journalism, beat, a beat reporter right? Uh, in this day and age. Um, yeah. And he's a great interviewer. I feel like he just got a great style. So all that aside, Cody, um, amazing win this past weekend for Clemson. Um, I've been reading it, you know, number of reactions, trying to figure out kind of where, mostly from the A&M standpoint where they are. And I don't think there's any doubt among, you know, the, the A&M fan base of how handled they got. And I don't necessarily think that they're taking this as a critique on Jimbo or a referendum on his start there. I think it's just flat out admission and acknowledgement of what, of Clemson being just on a completely different level and getting outplayed and outclassed there. And for me and where I think a lot of people landed on this, the most impressive performance on Saturday came from the defense and came from mostly the scheme from Brent Venables. Obviously we had a lot of execution um, edges come from the players, but um, really just, it was yet another masterpiece from BB. And I feel like that's probably as good a place to start for us breaking this game down. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. And we always, it seems like we always get it wrong. Um, again, going back to like 15, we thought the defense was going to be down. We, we, we lose, we had lost eight starters. We lose eight more starters going into the next season. We think the defense is going to be down. Um, it, completely the wrong, uh, kind of the opposite ended up being true, but, um, going into 17, it was the, the offense would be way down and they fell sure with Kelly Bryant, but it was still a good offense. And now I'll just get to the point. Um, it's like, it's not even worth trying to make a projection the defense is going to be good. The offense is probably going to be great. And I think you mentioned like Texas A&M being okay with like being handled. I think the Alabama game from last year, just it really put on everyone's radar that Clemson is, is they're, they're right there with Alabama or there might even be just slightly ahead of Bama. So I think people are more, they feel uh, they're okay with getting handled and then going and taking their 20 point or whatever it was, 14 point loss. It's not that they lost to kind of a second tier or a wannabe program. It's that it was that, you know, top elite tier in the, in the nation. What's tricky for them, I think Texas A&M and South Carolina both have to play Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama this year. And it, South Carolina doesn't play LCU, but A&M does. Um, it'll just be interesting to see as A&M and as South Carolina start to play sort of the, the other national elite like, what do those scores end up looking like? How does Kellen Mond look when he's playing against Alabama's defense? I think that'll give us, like, I, I'm going to be as excited to watch that game as I will be Clemson's game that weekend. Just to see, again, this is kind of, I don't know if you call it transitive or, you know, by association, but 
Um, it's going to be a different AM football team by the time they lace them up against Georgia and Alabama. But still, like, how do they perform against the defense and the scheme uh, versus how they did against Clemson? Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking at them too, and I think it, and you know what they could come out and have a bad year because I think Auburn's going to be solid, maybe top fifteen type good. Alabama's going to be Bama, and then we'll talk about LSU a little bit later on. Like they might have, I mean, you can you know talk all the trash you want to about the the SEC, and you would be right if you're talking about the SEC East, but the SEC West that is a gauntlet. It really is. It's it's no one no other conference like throughout has what the SEC West has. And that's like what I would consider probably three contenders or I'm sorry, two contenders and another two top 15 ish level teams. Yeah, totally. I think that you also have a Mississippi state team that I think quarterback is the lone question mark on their team, but they're a, they're a pretty well coached team, very talented and deep. And I think like in a lot of other conferences, they'd be contending for like the top two spots. So um, yeah, it goes pretty deep there. You do have, you know, the tire fire that is Ole Miss and Arkansas as well. But um, yeah, by and large, it's just such a strong division. Um, I think I, I kind of, I, I, I didn't, I raised my eyebrows a little bit when my co-host predicted a, a really strong season for LSU. Um, and we'll see, we'll kind of see as, as down the stretch, how they, how they fare. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think just all those teams are, are really solid, but Again, like I think what what's good for Clemson, you know, we're all we're going to hear about the re- the next you know ten weeks of the year, and into the coastal, um, playing the coastal in the ACC championship game, assuming Clemson gets there, is how soft the schedule is. And I just think you have to look at the last five to six to seven years, and then the next what fifteen years of how Clemson is scheduling out of conference. Clemson's doing everything it can to raise its profile of its schedule, and. You know, it's it's out of their hands. What are they going to leave that ACC? Like, what do people want? What do they expect? Um, and as Clemson and when Clemson does get tested against, you know, call call Texas A&M like the upper third of the SEC. We're handling an upper third of the SEC. Blew, blew out Alabama four touchdowns. Um, I think as long as Clemson continues to do that, I don't think that you know a, a right-minded, neutral college football fan can kind of hold the schedule against Clemson. There's, there's no such a thing as a, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, that's fair. But going back, you know, it kind of, I kind of got away from your, your question here. You mentioned like the defense and it's, it's going to be another good defense. One thing that I thought of when I was watching this, this defense was Stanford. It reminded me a lot of Stanford in that it's, we don't have the same like hosses up front. We don't have any 330 pound, you know, decks, Dex uh, War Daddies or Christian Wilkins who could move like a defensive end, but it's a lot of guys that play like sound uh, sound gap assignment type football. They they're playing their assignment. It's a veteran group. I would say it's like Stanford with a little bit more a little bit more talent dispersed right. throughout the and and, and Venables has, has gotten to a point now. It seems like which by the way that I, I think I mentioned it during our uh, in our podcast podcast thread that was like close to the Ohio State level type masterpiece and that that last touchdown doesn't really matter but i just think through and through uh he made kellamon look worse than he made jt barrett look uh, looked in the uh in the fiesta bowl and that's saying a lot yeah i mean kellamon is a very legitimate capable competent quarterback and he was hoodwinked in that game and i think you can credit it to a lot going on with formations and uh, Clemson rolled out there. I mean, I, I didn't look at the percentage of snaps or, you know, I, yeah, like pre-snaps where they came out in dime or nickel, but it had to be north of 50%. Um, and just tons of movement, tons of rotation, particularly on uh, the weak side for Mod. And I just think that that played mind games with him. I also noticed, I mean, for all their talk about, you know, doubting Death Valley, all of that, they had quite a few false starts, delay game penalties. Um, I remember one play I rewatched the, second quarter, third quarter before the show tonight. And uh, there's just one play where their running back was like standing there. He snapped the ball and he was like a good half second late and then grabbed the ball and like got tackled right at the line of scrimmage. But just, I think, I think the crowd noise did impact things, but more so than that, it was just, they got into an early funk and could not break out of that. And I don't know if you want to call that just getting into the other team's head or, like where that team is from just a coaching standpoint as well from a discipline standpoint, but 
all, all of that combined to really result in a dominant performance. And I think like the, the three points that they got in the second quarter was also a result of a couple of busts, a couple of very, the, the very few busts on the day easily could have been a shutout like that Ohio state game, like you referenced. So I will definitely not hold the 10 points against Brett Venables. And it is a pity because I think there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, saw it was relatively close early and that, you know, low scoring. So like, Oh, Clemson's offense isn't dominant and then decided not to watch the rest of that game. And they'll be using the box score to dictate whether or not Clemson was dominant. Totally not the right way to look at this game. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the first quarter and that's all the time that I had to rewatch the game. I just watched the first quarter and you mentioned the, whatever happened, the, the, just kind of the morale that was, that was taken from AM cause they were, they were running the ball really well. Corbin was getting like six, eight yards of carry. Mon couldn't you know, hit the backside of a barn with his passing. I think ultimately that's what kind of probably, you know, stymied their, their offense, but also like the heat played a factor when you, when you couple that with adrenaline, which and the preparation, probably the over analyzing of, of film um, from an entire off season, trying to make, make, uh, make right what, what you lost in 18 when you, when they, um, when Clemson won. So like all these factors, I mean, Clemson was facing the same weather. I mean, that'll be the counter argument. Fair enough. If that's what you want to say, but I think that that played a role. If they were to play on a neutral, on a neutral field and say three weeks from now, same rosters, I think Clemson still wins, and that I think Vegas had it right um, yeah. in like seventeen, and I guess on a neutral field, probably a fourteen um, point margin of victory or spread. But uh, but ultimately, uh, yeah, Clemson's a better team. But I think there was there were some other elements, the elements uh, factored in. Yeah, agreed. Um, anyway, I mean, why don't we look to this defensive performance though and figure out? I mean, for me really it spoke to the skill of the secondary. I think this, this game was all about the secondary and all about uh, Kayvon Wallace. Um, I think you got a tremendous performance from uh, the safeties that tend to be better. And so I, I was going to reference Nolan Turner. He overcame an early mistake, not really even a mistake. Um, he got stiff-armed uh, by a, a taller receiver that went for a first down and extended that drive. Um, completely made up for that later, played great pass coverage, uh, forced a fumble later in the game. Tanner Muse played a really good game as well. Um, and But again, I, I think Kayvon Wallace, for me, gets that defensive game ball. Um, just flying around, you know, pre-snap throughout. Um, I, it, I was shocked to see there were only, I think, four tackles for loss in this game. Maybe that, maybe that uh, doesn't include some garbage time, but um, in looking at Bill C's advanced box score, but it just felt like Clemson was in the backfield early and often in this game. And again, we, we saw it last year. Mond is very elusive, very good at getting the ball out, throwing things away. He was just doing that except overthrowing his receivers, right? Short arming it and not putting it in a good spot for them to make a play. Whereas last year, that's all that he was doing. Right. And all, well, all the pressure was more traditional um, last year with just four, four all American caliber players getting pressure versus, you know, I've seen, I've seen Venables do a lot of exotic stuff with his blitz packages, but I don't know. This might've been, this might've taken the cake in terms of sending like blindside pressure, delay pressure, um, mix in zone and man coverages, I think primarily zone and, and like you mentioned Kevon Wallace, like it's amazing what a, a, say a, a veteran player that's been around who might not even be the fastest guy in the world, but when they start feeling confidence, how fast they look on film, he just looked like a different guy. And Tanner Muse looked great as well. Uh, Nolan Turner, you mentioned he overcame uh, like that, that missed tackle earlier. He plays so quick. His angles in, in pursuit really help him and probably offset any kind of physical disadvantages he may have. So yeah, like a, a, I was, the book was out to me on the secondary. I wasn't ready to just, just because they had one game, good game against Bama, I guess two against when you, when you throw a Notre Dame, I wasn't ready to crown them like, you know, the all American unit, but I think they really are a great unit. They're, they're going to be a plus, bring a plus grade to every game just because they're, they've been there, done that. And they, they look good. I'm going to channel Ben Welty right now and say Clemson's DBU this year, that Texas and LSU game, both those quarterbacks were slinging it all over the field. Anyway, shout out to Ben. I mean, um, when you factor in AJ Terrell, all American, and then Kendrick, who looks a little bit like Mackenzie Alexander, I, I don't know. Like, I think he's he's a little raw, but man, he sticks to his wide receiver like glue. Like, maybe I mean, I don't even. It's like I don't even factor in the the cornerbacks sometimes, but maybe it is not. Maybe not DBU, but uh, it's up there. No, hundred percent. I think that really this was going to be the game that I thought that 
uh, Jimbo Fisher and Kellen Mond would be trying to attack and press and prove that Darian Kendrick belonged on the football field as a starting cornerback. And we didn't see it. Now they weren't going after him. They weren't singling him out, at least as far as I could tell. Um, so I don't know. I mean, he, I think all signs are pointing to the secondary being that elite level, like you mentioned. Uh, I, I, again, I, I feel like we, that unit kind of outshined a little bit, maybe what we wanted to see from the linebacking core. Um, Isaiah Simmons, you know, call him part of the secondary too, if you want. I think that, you know, no question, he's continued to elevate his game this year, take another leap. You guys have called him a first rounder. I think I agree with that. Um, but yeah, in this game, I, I just don't remember too many plays that stick out for me from Skalski and from Chad Smith. Um, I, do remember Jake Venables got a tackle at one point, which is great, great to hear on the broadcast. Um, but anyway, I think, yeah, maybe if you want to look to things like against the Syracuse team and when we get into North Carolina and that stretch of our schedule, like continuing to see development from Skalski and Chad Smith, um, feeling things out. I mean, I think you've seen a lot of three man fronts, like a three, three, five, um, nickel formation as well. You've seen that a lot in the first two weeks. Maybe that's, maybe that becomes the base base, you know, formation for this defense. Um, and in that case, that maybe relieves a little bit of pressure for them on uh, pass coverage, you know, north, south on the field, allows them to move more laterally. And they don't have to focus as much on getting pressure if you've got, you know, safeties coming down. Yeah, I think I think that will be, you know, a fundamental part of the defense if if we make it to a playoff or an ACC championship game. I'm not, it'll be interesting to see how much we go with those packages during the ACC regular season. But one thing, I mean, I'll ask you, I think this defense might be more entertaining than last year, than the last two versions of the defense, because yeah, like again, the, the best four players on the defense aren't at the line of scrimmage now, which as great as that is as a Clemson fan, there's a little bit more entertainment value in having Isaiah Simmons roam around like a, like a center fielder. I mean, what, what do you think? I, I think I agree with you. And first of all, we may end up with more coverage sacks. I think my hope is we'll end up with more plays on the football possibly turnovers. Those are exciting. Um, haven't seen any go for threatened for pick six territory just yet, but um, quarterbacks likely are going to have more time to throw the ball, but they're going to have fewer windows and opportunities to actually connect. So um, I, I don't know. I agree with you. I think it's going to be, it's just, it feels like a different defense and it feels new and it's exciting. So at the very least, I agree with you on that. Um, I'm just thinking, I mean, I don't know thus far that we could say that Texas A&M tested this defense. And I don't know, looking across the rest of our schedule, if we'll find a team to test this defense, um, at least elsewhere in the ACC. So um, uh, South Carolina also not looking like world beaters uh, from a, from an offensive standpoint, although Holinsky, you know, new blood there. We'll see what they get out of him. Yeah. I'm not ready to close the book on all opponents, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hard to find someone that's really going to test them. And Hey, there's some good offenses in college football, though. They'll be tested before the season's over, that's for sure. Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, there's definitely time to fine-tune things. My hope is there, there will be teams that emerge in the ACC Atlantic, or, you know, we'll see about North Carolina. But, you know, again, none of these teams are going to elevate to top 10 offenses. But what does North Carolina State give us? What does Dave Clawson and Wake Forest give you? You know, are there, are there specific looks? Do they try to uncover, um, you know, wrinkles in this defense that, will be learning lessons essentially for Brent Venables. I think that we'll see that. And I, I think, and this will be, I don't, I don't think this will be anything that will expose, be exposed during the regular season, but I think the book is out on our run defense is, uh, still because I, A&M got off to a really good start and it, it looked like, wow, they're going to be able to um, take up a ton of time of possession. And, and if we're playing Georgia, Alabama, um, even I don't, I don't want to say Ohio State just yet, but there's some teams out there that can run the ball. And I, that, uh, Wisconsin? Yeah, I, I know they have Taylor, but I uh, haven't really you know, dialed into their games quite yet. Yeah, I think they've allowed zero points on the season, and they've scored like 130 or something. So. So you're, you're saying they're better than Michigan definitively. That's what we know so far. Yeah. In the Big Ten, they're, they're up there with Ohio State. Yeah, and Nebraska's not, not as good as we thought they were. And I don't know about Iowa. I don't really know much about the Big Ten West yet, but I think Wisconsin may have had their way over there. I can see them being a first-round matchup for Clemson. 
I'm just thinking, I thought it was going to be all Southern teams and maybe Ohio State. That's that's what I was thinking. Nah, man. Dairy products and alcohol. That's Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> you um, crab cakes? No, that's Maryland. No, no, I think you're right, though, in that we really, I mean, I, I think it's just adjustments. And I think, like, adjustments change the face of that game. And just Kellen Mond not being able to, to execute. Then Clemson built up a lead. Then they felt like they had to throw more and couldn't do it. And then we built, you know, a 21 point lead and um, that was the football game. So it was really more about Kellen Mons, uh, I guess, ineptitude than should A&M have stuck with the run. I think to some extent, yes, but um, just to keep it more of a two possession game, make, bring the clock factor into it. Uh, but I don't know. I think they were never winning a game with Kellen Mond being ineffective under, under center. Right. They, they don't have the pieces. Um, and, and yeah, he was, he was rendered just completely ineffective and, and it was, it was weird. I, I really did think he would like step up this year and I, I, I still think he might have like a really great year in the SEC and, and look like a, you know, up there with the, the top quarterbacks like Tua, but yeah, it, it was a great, another, again, another masterpiece by Venables and, you know, he can, because he has all year and it's not like we're, we're going to be a complete coast mode but like come on he's going to have some re- some guys some grad assistants looking at film of the top teams he's going to be peeking out you know at the corner of his eye at these other teams he couldn't he could potentially dial into the same things he did for Bama and, and the same thing same things he did for Mond with AM. no I fully agree I was thinking about that like if you do have the luxury of first of all let's say it's like Virginia and a runaway in the coastal um Chances are I'd have to look at the schedule for the last like three, four weeks, but we've got a bye week before South Carolina. I got a feeling he's not going to be spending too much time scouting out Holinsky and that offense. So probably looking ahead to that Virginia offense and for whatever playoff opponent there is, you've got a month to prepare there and who knows what amount of that time he would spend on the other side of the bracket. um, I have a feeling they probably knew early on what their game plan was for book. And that's that that guy cannot, uh, make a second read to save his life and we made him pay all night so the minute they figure that out they probably moved on to Tua right and this is a weird thought but can you imagine Brent Venables like watching film on like a Saturday like trying to have a beer with him and have a good time and he's watching say Ohio State he's just like he doesn't blink he's just watching the TV and you're like hey Brent well, you know what you want a beer he's like shut up yeah Brent just made these nachos get him out of here um I I wonder, do you think he writes down his notes or is he like talking, yelling into a recorder? Is he yelling at uh, the get back guy? Yeah, well, yeah. Does he even sitting down or is he standing up pacing across like the, the living room? Definitely. He hasn't sat down since grade school. <laughs> and I do like the idea of a recorder. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Barking into a, a tape recorder. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, the dude is a freak and he's amazing and he's our defense coordinator. So uh, say another, another prayer for that one. But, um, anyway, Cody, yeah, I feel like it's definitely too early in this, in this season to look back at some of our projections and figure out like, where do we see this, this defense landing, um, got to see them play on the road, got to see them play a couple more, um, reasonably capable offenses to know for sure. Um, I think this was also a game where they got a good amount of depth into the, the football game and that's going to help a ton, especially in the front, I guess, front four, um, particularly the tackle position. So uh, very excited to see that. And I think that that can only help down the stretch to continue to get depth. Yeah. When I would say depth is a huge concern at, at almost every position, um, except, well, I was going to say safety, but even there it's, it's somewhat of a concern, but yeah, I'm glad Tyler Davis is like, I watched him a good bit against A&M and he does look really good. Like he, he moves the pocket back every time. So it's like, we have an elite player in the making there, but um, besides him, yeah, I mean, if, when you get down to like the fourth defensive tackle, like there's not a lot there. And then, yeah, we, we need some time to groom the defensive ends. KJ Henry got a lot of snaps against AM, but I think he's still playing a little bit slow, still processing things. So anyhow, we could go down the list, but the, the young guys, yeah, they're taking some time and, and they'll need to, if, if we have one injury at a, at a critical position, like that, that changes things. You, you saw XT get injured against A and M, and I thought it was worse than it was. I'm thinking that just changes the whole trajectory of our season. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we 
completely dodged a bullet there. And it looked, it looked like a not non-contact injury kind of, he was obviously in the mix on the play, but uh, it looked like, you know, name your lower, lower extremity injury of choice. Uh, it looked like it could have been either something with the ankle or something with the knee, but I don't know. Maybe it was just like, I don't, I don't know what, what they actually declared it to be. ESPN also on the broadcast did not even reference it for the ensuing few minutes after the play. It's really weird. Yeah. I, and it was an ankle. So maybe he, he got up after he was down and walked off. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was odd. Yeah. He was back in the game though, shortly thereafter and, you know, played, played a great game after that, but agreed. And I think I, I remember, I don't know, commenting on someone's post about him being the second most irreplaceable player on this team I, behind Trevor Lawrence. I feel like Isaiah Simmons takes that prize for me. Uh, but Tyler Davis may be up there, even over XT at this point. He may be. I mean, he may be the the best down-to-down defensive lineman on the team right now. And But I think where XT needs to be and where he could be, he would be the best on the yeah. team. That's, yeah, where, sure. that's where we want him to get to. Yeah, definitely. He could be a one-man pass rush for us, and we're going to need him to be that. So please stay healthy. Uh, why don't we flip it to the offense, Cody? Pretend you just heard the first down. I did hear it. Okay, good. That's all I can hear. So, um, yeah, offense in this game, uh, just the 24 points. Uh, but still, like this scoreboard, this box score, did not indicate uh, the, the level of domination that Clemson had um, across the entire football game. I think that A&M's defense actually did a great job in this game uh, overall. Like clearly they could not keep Clemson out of the end zone when it counted. Uh, but you have just Trevor Lawrence going God mode on that scramble, uh, just flip throw uh, laser to T uh, sorry to Justin Ross um, in the second quarter. I feel like other than that though, like A&M was able to get pressure all day and I don't necessarily know that Clemson's O-line had a bad game per se. It's just, a&M's a really talented defense. Um, Mike Elko is a great defensive coach, but I, I still think we're we're looking at a Clemson offense that is getting its footing and knocking some rust off and figuring out its identity. Yeah, they've brought back a lot of the same talent, but they're trying to figure out the the mix of distribution still, and you know even cycling in a new offensive line just in terms of these guys playing together at their respective positions, getting that continuity, right? I think you're just still seeing like the offensive unit as a whole, like come together. Yeah. It, it seems like it normally takes offensive groups a little longer. Um, and it particularly takes Tony Elliott's offensive groups take a little longer and maybe that's on purpose, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think with, I think you're right. I think Mike Elko, I think his defensive scheme a lot like Venables. I think it's like the, the four, three over front, where you shoot your gap. I think they had a lot of success doing that and it blew up a lot of the running lanes. So ETN couldn't really get upfield. Eventually we were able to wear them down. And like, I mentioned this to you guys during the game, ETN, he seems like he's taking just another small step. He was already pretty damn good as a freshman and then even a little, little better as a sophomore. I just feel like he's, he could be playing in the NFL right now as a starter right now. And, and, you know, we're just lucky we have him playing at Clemson. Yeah. I think what he, what he showed in his true freshman year, was that speed and that burst and that he belonged on the football field in high level college football. I think what he got last year was comfort with contact and breaking through contact and yards after contact. And I think what I can tell so far this year, I think some of his timing of letting a play develop, I've seen some of that start to develop in his game so far. And um, that's the type of thing that can help you succeed at the next level. There's also the other intangibles here of pass catching and blocking that, um, you know, he, he got involved a little bit in the passing game this week, but we'll continue to see those play out. And I guess that those elements of game, his game will determine where he goes in the draft. Uh, but it's, it's such a luxury to have. And when I spoke about AM playing a great game, they didn't entirely shut ETN down. Like he was helping move the chains all game um, just because it's impossible to stop that guy. But I think that's actually, they, they prevented him from just dominating and running all over them. And again, you can do that, but that's going to open you up to the six four, six five receivers and Trevor Lawrence, which we saw take the day. Yeah, it, well, and that's two teams now that have keyed in on Etienne, and they're, they're, they've decided that that's the person they're not going to let beat them. It's like you know that's the poison they've cho- chosen. So we, we, it's up to Elliot now, who I think it's like they're they're just 
the defensive coordinators are prodding him saying, Hey, you know, take some shots downfield, put some stuff on film. And I think, you know, he did against A&M. We'll see how he plays it going, uh, going through the rest of the ACC. But, uh, you know, we, and we've seen like narratives about uh, as great as Lynn J. Dixon played and he came in and he saved the day in the run game. It's like, you know, they weren't putting the same amount of attention on him as they were Etienne. Yeah. Agreed. I think like pick his three longest runs of the day. Look at the formations, pick, three any other Travis Etienne like clear running plays on first down and take a look at formations there like just entirely different um that's not to say like Lynn J Dixon isn't impressive because he is and I think it that that question mark that we had coming into the year about running back like after Etienne I think he's soundly answered I do have a little bit of question about overall depth behind Dixon still uh, but we've got Rencher and a couple of true freshmen there so um, I think it's okay to have those questions at this point of the season. Yeah. And, uh, Mr. Bobin, and if you ever get, if you get a chance, he's the senior commit, uh, in high school. Um, God, he looks a lot like Dalvin cook. He is just freakishly fast, but anyhow, that's another, uh, topic for another episode. Yeah. I, I think we'll be okay at running back. Um, I I'm not, and again, but like the offensive line, not worried about them. I, I actually like their upside. I think we, we thought it might be the best or that it should be the best offensive line in, in the Dabo era. I think it still has the, the pathway to be that. Um, they look really good on the left side. They got two NFLers um, with, with Carmen and, and Simpson. And um, Carmen keeps getting better, too. He's, he's moving better than, than I thought he would be able to move at this point in his career. Yeah, there's about a 25-yard ECN run in the second quarter. I encourage everyone to go back and watch. Uh, Carmen was engaged with, um, I believe, a – defensive end from AM off to the play and it was a it was actually a screen pass back to etn uh and simpson just came up and blew up carmen's carmen's blocker uh to to spring etn to the right and just incredible play by john simpson that that should be in his uh pro day uh tape reel or whatever Right. No, I, I know which one you're referring to. And yeah, that would, to me, that was like, oh, that's a tackle for a loss. And then, yeah, next thing yep. you know, 40 yards later. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, I know. I, I think you see sort of the flashes of what this offensive line can be, and that's only going to get stronger as they play more snaps together. Apparently Gage Cervenko was also a beast in this game. Um, I haven't gone, gone back through and kind of focused too much on the O-line. And I really do look forward to reading the third quarter and fourth quarter SCS film reviews. Um, that that those guys do over there because um, you just get a better sense for different aspects of the team they're looking at a lot more than we do in our simple simple 10 rewatches yeah if the kraken could if he could come back to his website because he he would really talk about offensive linemen better than anyone else but um yeah so you miss that and you don't really no one knows even the casual fan um even the diehard fan doesn't know what's going on on the offensive line. Like you think you do because you see a guy miss, but you don't know if that was his, his blitz to pick up or the guy beside him, but the Kraken knew all that. Anyhow, um, come back, come back Kraken. Hey, standing invite to come on the, on the podcast. Um, we'll pour one out. RIP for Clemson pause. What a great website, particularly when they went to a, an open model without subscription. Um, that, that's like another thing that's missing for this year unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. The podcast analysis on offensive linemen has gone down a lot this year. I'll say that <laughs> uh, coincidence. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about Trevor Lawrence, Cody. I feel like through two weeks um, quarterback rating, I, I just don't, I don't think metrics can describe Trevor Lawrence. I don't think it's fair to try to do that. Um, my theory, I was, I was texting with uh, Chili a Clemson personality over the weekend during the game. And I think, I, I think I actually meant this so that Trevor Lawrence put on a lot of weight in the off season, a lot of, a lot of muscle weight, upper body. And I think he's still feeling that out. I think he's still trying to figure out like mechanically and, you know, across the board, how to play with, you know, an extra 20 pounds of muscle. I mean, that could be it. I, I did think about that a little bit as I see him a little bit um, on some of his passes. Just and, and, and by the way, Higgins and Ross seem to mask any kind of deficiencies in his accuracy. But I, I did think about that. But I also just thought if you watched him last year and, you're, and you can remove the Alabama-Notre Dame game from his resume, 
he made plenty of freshman mistakes. And I think I heard someone, I don't want to steal this, this thought. It's like we were able to focus on just the great plays last year because he was a freshman. And now it's like all you can think about because you expect greatness on every player are the bad and the negatives. I think, I think he, he's even last year, he had a lot to work on. You see a little bit left. I think that goes down to processing by the way, Elko was a really good, really good defensive coordinator, had a good game plan for him, made him, process a lot and you just see like it's not it's not always easy they're getting penetration he made he made enough great plays let me say like kelly bryant and not to not to throw shade on kelly bryant but he was great because almost every play you know we, we were going to get a positive yardage maybe sometimes it was three yards four but ultimately what wins football are those explosive plays so if you, even if you go two plays bust and then third play to higgins for 40 yards that's that's a better formula to win football games and that's yeah. what we're doing with lawrence yeah, for sure. I think there's absolutely an element too of like in the Georgia Tech game, offense was floundering a little bit. And there's just a moment there is like both, I think it was an Elliot, Tony Elliott thing and a Trevor Lawrence thing where, all right, we're throwing the bomb to T and they did. And it was a touchdown. Like there's, there's that gear to this offense, both from a play calling and what they've been showing, how they can mix that up and expose the defense and just Trevor Lawrence like dialing in in the moment he hasn't had to be, you know, dragon slayer thus far um, and, and play with a deficit or really protect uh, a lead because the other team is threatening on offense. So um, I don't know, like, would we like to see him come out and be like Tua was last year and just lighting up college football or seeing what we get out of Jalen Hurts so far, like, or even Justin Fields, like, sure, probably, but um, I'm, we may well see that soon enough here. And I'm all right with it. Yeah, it, that is that, I, you know, I, that's a thought that's never occurred to me. Like, seriously, I, yeah. I did not like he, how many moments like, uh, like that did Deshaun Watson have, even during the regular season, he had to be the dragon slayer quite often. And yeah, Trevor Lawrence hasn't really had that moment at all in his career yet. Um, so yeah, good point. I, I think, I think he'll be fine. I think the, the one thing that gives me relief, I, well, for one, he has a long way to go before he's Peyton Manning, which is the, his, a common comparison, but I think Tony Elliott can work with him and prepare him enough in a, in a one game or a four or a two game scenario to be super dialed into opponent, to pick them apart and to accentuate his strengths with all the, the abundance of playmakers around him. I'm in other words, I'm confident we can, we can take down other elite defenses with him at the helm. Yeah. And I think the, what's nice is what everything we just said about the offensive line coming together and improving in a way, the hope there is that that can help neutralize the teams with some of the most effective pass rush. And then the hope is that same team doesn't then have the most capable secondary in college football to pair with that. So it's either, is he going to get the time to find, to pick a team apart because they don't have an elite pass rush, but maybe their secondary is their strength or uh, for a team with a worse off secondary, but a great pass rush. Like, is this O-line good enough to protect there? Um, I, I do want to make a comment. I think the tight ends thus far have been pretty solid in pass protection um, or run protection as well. Um, I think JC Chalk missed a, missed a couple blocks in this game, but I also saw some plays where he was definitely in the mix. Uh, so I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty happy so far, I guess, with the fact that they've just resigned the tight ends to being helping in the run game, helping in the pass protection. Yeah. They're glorified like halfbacks, right? That just play on the outside. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I did see a lot of misses in the Georgia Tech game, and then I think they cleaned it up a little bit against AM. But yeah, I think the, the end product with Chalk, because this is his first time ever playing, I, I'm confident it'll be, it'll be better yeah. on the road. But yeah. the, the tight end, or the tight ends, the wide receivers, I know you're probably going to bounce to them next. Like their blocking has been incredible. Speaking of like outside of perimeter blocking, it really has opened up, up a lot for for the run game, for anything that ha any kind of playmaking that happens on the outside. Like what a, what a, and, and like, they're all, all Americans first round ish type players. Like and they're, they're blocking like that. That's, that's inspiring. Like, I don't know if you're implying this or not, but basically like they don't have, they don't necessarily have to be out there blocking like that. Like they can get by on their receiving prowess of pass catching and yards after catch prowess. But yeah, this offense goes when they're able to, uh, I guess, build in that second layer of blocking downfield. Right. They're not yet. Yeah, T Higgins isn't going to get benched because he's not blocking that, that hard, but yeah. Um, you know, one thing, one thought I had about the wide receivers was 
you're starting to see the, the skill sets of Higgins manifest and you're seeing the, the, the greatness of Justin Ross. He really does uh, look a lot like Nuke in, his, in the way he plays and the catches he can make. He's not like a high riser. He doesn't high point balls in the same way, but he does, he does run good routes, makes those spectacular plays, the catch radius and so, things like that. Um, just going to be like a crazy Nuke-esque type player in the NFL. And then T. Higgins kind of strikes me as like Mike Williams with maybe even more like leaping ability. Do you see that? I do. I, I mean, I, I go back to before he was a freshman um, in, in fall camp. There was just a, I remember like a six second clip where T went up and just got an impossible uh, leaping grab uh, in practice. I was like Mike Williams, like very Mike Williams ass, but almost like more, more. And again, we could probably look up their intangibles and their vertical and all that stuff, but it almost feels like he could sky a little higher than Mike. Yeah, I think the NFL is calling for him after after this season, that's for sure. Yeah, and even if there are like little nagging doubts about T's game, just look at the pedigree of Clemson receivers. No GM is going to lose their job drafting a Clemson receiver early. All right, cool. Well, uh, anyway, you know, 24 points for this team. I think, you know, again, every Clemson fan would be like, look, it would have felt great, you know, coming out of this weekend playing A&M if it had been a – you know, a cover the spread, but a, a higher scoring game, all of that. I think this was a phenomenal game for us. And, um, you know, not, not perhaps the most prolific offensive day, but you, you definitely had your highlights. And I, I don't know. I think the coaching staff was content to have it play out as it did. It looked kind of like Alabama. And I've heard this I'm, again, I'm still in someone else's idea, a little bit of the boa constrictor, a little bit, just like bleed them out and just your the weight of how good you are at every position group and you know a little bit better than A&M at every position group oh, that talent just wins out on the field you know over 60 minutes so I think it's like that's the Alabama formula although Clemson does it in a little bit more of an exciting way I think yeah more flash more style more highlight plays um you know Bama's trying to take a page from I guess our book and the rest of college football with spicing up their offense so I think everyone's kind of you know, learning from one another and, and all of that. But yeah, no, that's a fair comparison. Um, I guess for you, Cody, like with that performance, what you've seen out of the defense, do you feel like this team is any more of a national title contender than you thought coming into the year? So I, for me, the question is, isn't national championship contender? Because I think they were, I think, well, you could make a case, maybe they weren't, but I think they were. And the question is like now, should be, should they be number one? Have they earned that? that spot. And I think, I think they have, I mean, that's my opinion. And I, I was really cynical on them being number one. I thought Alabama, even Georgia should have been up there, but I, I think I feel pretty good about that decision. I think the offense will be what it'll be. It's the defense. Like you said, that's, I had no, I had no idea they could be top five, which I think that's where they're trending right now. Yeah. That's just insane. I mean, I, I do think I was challenging my co-host saying, I, I think top 10 is in play for this defense. Um, just based on the talent and the amount of amount of depth and reps that the guys coming back have gotten, um, and just we got to put faith in Venables. But I mean, if if they do land in that top five, this is gonna, just going to be insane because I think the offense will put it together uh, when faced with the type of high caliber opponent um, that we're likely to hit in December and January. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great. I mean, I don't know if in the last we may have came in top five uh, last year on both sides of the ball, but this might this could be the first time. Not just to give you an idea of how hard it is to get to elite elite uh, sides of the ball in the same year on the same team. Yeah, and look, like Clemson will not. I know people were throwing out like Clemson wants to have the number one offense in the country. Like where Oklahoma is, you're just not going to get to that level. Like they, what they, how they manage their entire football game and, and their entire football team pr- prioritizes the offense. That was never going to be Clemson, but we could definitely find ourselves in a top five offense. And then that is still, you know, 45 plus points a game, 20 plus point arches of victory. I guess Clemson ended a streak. I don't know how many games it was, probably like 10 or 11 or 12 games in a row of 20 point plus uh, margins of victory that streak ended with the garbage time touchdown boohoo we can start a new streak next week that one's not important uh tim beret also posted on twitter clemson now i think is tied with 
the school mark for consecutive Saturday wins in a row, something like that. Another weird stat, but the one I care about, 17-0, and 0, that's a pretty good, good mark, 17 straight wins. Yeah, and if we get past Syracuse and it's not very as daunting as we once thought, then I think it's really downhill. So the road to, what would that be, 27 wins? It's pretty pretty clear path. That's everything up until the ACC championship game. Yes, you're right. 27, exactly. Um, and I think you're getting into when you're at like 27, 28 wins. That's what Florida State was in that 2013, 2014 run. Um, and I think they won some bowl games before that. And then uh, you also have Miami is in like the low 30s. So we'd have to go undefeated again this year, get into next season to be threatening the 2001, 2002 Miami run. It's possible. It's all in front yeah, of this yeah. team. Uh, well, Cody, to kind of answer the other side of that question, is Clemson a, a title contender? I think you it, it definitely draws the question, like, who's stopping them? And in the first couple of weeks, Alabama hasn't played anyone of note. They played Duke, kind of a slow start for them. And I forget who they played this past weekend, but Georgia had Bandy and um, a lesser opponent as well um, this past weekend. I don't know that we've learned a ton about the, the others that we probably would have put on Clemson's level, but I, I think what's more interesting is going to be the teams that are in that next year. Um, a lot of, a lot of people would have put Texas there, LSU there, Ohio state there, Michigan there, potentially Auburn, potentially Notre Dame. And um, we've learned some about these teams across the kind of course of the first two weeks, but I'm curious if any of those stand out to you as legit, you know, college football playoff contenders and ones that you do kind of expect to make some noise in their conference. So I've, I've been able to watch two in pretty a, a pretty fair amount of depth that I think are you know kind of new blood, and that's LSU. I think a lot of people saw the LSU Texas game. I think they're legit. I, I told I think I told Ben kind of like Michigan. I have to see it with them first, and like with Michigan, that's a no go. Um, but with LSU, I, I really think I really think they're on to something with the, the revamped offense with Bros. Um, having the quarterback coach like that's a, and their defense is is good they're always good that's a legit team and it's I mean thank god they're not in our division um, Alabama is gonna have like I mean they could be the best team in their in their conference but they're gonna have a tough road ahead and then the other team was Ohio State and book's still out on them because they haven't really played anyone either but I think Justin Fields is a little bit better than I thought he would be I don't know if you have any thoughts on on either of those I'm sure you have some thoughts on Ohio State yeah I think that um, Justin Fields has picked apart really soft coverages and I, I guess I need to go back and look at that Cincinnati game a bit because that defense shut them shut, shut out Cincinnati and Cincinnati is a well-coached team and they're kind of ahead of schedule in their rebuild under Luke Fickle so I think as a as a team and where that where they are as a contender I think Ohio State's definitely like very much in the discussion for making the playoff but to your point I think Michigan's out um just barely beating army. Uh, they struggled in the first week of the season as well. So, um, yeah, I think that LSU though, um, very impressive. And it strikes me that like, I don't know that there was anything about that offense that struck me as fluky. Like again, you know, occasionally you get these quarterbacks that just have like, they play out of their mind and they make every throw look to Kellen Mond last year against Clemson as one of those, but he did, he did maintain his standing as, a, as an above average quarterback last year throughout the year. I think Joe Burrow is going to have a similar sort of year with LSU. Um, They're unlucky in that they play Alabama on the road uh, in Tuscaloosa. So that's going to be a, a tricky one for them, but I, I still have to see like how good is Alabama's defense. They lost a lot um, leaving the team. They had um, it, an injury as well. Uh, pretty high profile injury in their linebacking core. So Again, Alabama's replacing everybody with five-star guys, like cream of the crop recruits. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think I would say the SEC is kind of wide open at this point, especially in the West. And then uh, Ohio State's probably got to be your Big Ten favorite. But hey, man, look out for Maryland, right? <laughs> or your or your Wisconsin Badgers. So yeah, the, I think the thing about Justin Fields, like you, you bring up a good point. He had some very soft coverages. He looks a little bit like another Kelly Bryant comparison. He looks kind of like Kelly, like a, 
I think a rich man's Kelly Bryant or Kelly Bryant 2.0 because he can really sling it. He has quite an arm. But he, what I didn't expect from him is he would be this kind of like safe, safe play, take the take the you know the seven yard slant or hitch, yeah. And that's what he's doing. But he's doing it. He's managing the offense. He's kind of like that game manager, but he's on a little bit of another level um, athletically. Like he looks good, but he's not quite Cam Newton, which is kind of what I is what I heard he would be. So like I, I'm really, it's really inter- an interesting team. Their defense is really good out the gates. So I have to ask you, I, yeah. I, I, I almost think if he chose to do this, like if they chose offensively to deploy him in this way, I think they could lean him and lean in a bit more with him in the running game. And it'd be interesting to see, like, would he compare a little more to Kelly Bryant or would he compare a little more even to Lamar Jackson was like, take whatever Kelly Bryant was like Lamar Jackson was like the, not even the rich man, like the billionaires, Kelly Bryant. Um, Justin feels a lot more of a, a pocket passer, I would say, but yeah, it, well, well, that's a great point because like when Deshaun Watson got into, you know, run, you know, 20, 15, 20 carries a game mode, like he was a different player. And if if that's what they do with Fields and very smart to keep him healthy um, and not run him all that often. But yeah, I think he's a little bit more explosive than than Kelly Bryant. He seems to have a little bit better vision as a runner. So right. like, yeah, I mean, I, who knows what that team could be. But what I, what I don't see from him yet is a lot of like processing downfield and, and um putting that strong arm to, to use. So like he would have to augment what his current skill set or limitations might be with probably running at this point. So yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a legit team from what, from what I see. Yeah, for sure. And they, they bring back uh, experience in the running game and they've seemed to have not missed a beat with some, with the guys they lost in their defensive line. So uh, again, let's see when they get into big 10 play, how they match up and how all that plays out, but they look solid. LSU looks solid to your point. Um, I think Texas, though, prob- I think they're coming in in preseason S&Ps in the 40s on defense and offense. Their offense looked mighty good against LSU. And that's another thing when you go back to LSU, though. I mean, they, they allowed points in the 30s to Texas. Um, and Texas turned the ball over a ton early. Could have been even higher scoring than that. So, um, again, I don't know that, that that game was necessarily a referendum on LSU's defense. They're very talented and skilled, but – they weren't exactly locked down the entire time. Yeah, good point. I don't know that Texas is back yet, like their quarterback, Ellinger, declared after they beat Georgia, a, a disinterested Georgia uh, in, the, in their bowl game. But I think they're good. I think they'll – and my, by the way, my, I, my projection is they'll beat Oklahoma and disrupt the Big 12 and probably ensure that there's no representative from the Big 12 this year. I mean, they'll beat them at least once. So then it's going to be a matter of – all right, who else has one loss or who else is like a one loss champion or are there enough seats? And if there's two qualified teams from the SEC, there's an Ohio State, there's a Clemson. Yeah, you could see the Big 12 kind of cannibalize itself. Um, I think the Pac-12 is now screwed. Uh, Washington lost to Cal. That game was delayed due to weather. I think they started playing it largely at about 1.30 a.m. West Coast time, or at least it might have ended around 1.30 a.m. West Coast time, but... That was pretty much the Pac-12's last shot, I think, putting an undefeated Washington team in. Who knows? Oregon can completely run the table, and they look like a capable one-loss champion that had a good loss losing to Auburn in a neutral site game week one. I just don't know that Auburn – or I'm sorry, I don't know that Oregon is going to be able to do that. And USC looks to be rejuvenated under a new quarterback, uh, freshman coming in and starting for them, but – they're not going to survive their schedule. They got a really tough schedule. So Pac-12 is probably out in this equation. I think so. I, I and yeah, you mentioned the Auburn and Oregon game. Like Auburn might be the fourth best team in their own division. And, and like Bo Nix, like you mentioned, like not seeing a fluky thing from Burroughs. Like Bo Nix was very fluky in that game, and and they were still able, and they were able to beat Oregon. So I mean, you know, maybe maybe they can run the table, but I don't know if that'll be enough. And yeah, they, I mean, the SEC West, like, what could it be? Or the SEC altogether could have three of the best um, five teams in the nation, could be. Mm-hmm. And they could, and to me, they could get one team in, or they could get three. Is it crazy to think they could get three? Or is two the max? Is it is that I mean, an unwritten, unwritten rule there? I think if you get three SEC teams in, like, you could paint the scenario where, like, LSU loses close to – I don't know. 
like you could paint that scenario. Um, I think that immediately escalates things to an 18 playoff. Like or there's you, a secession see, by, uh, by Northern yeah, schools. There's a complete revolt that happens uh, throughout college football. I think the result of that, because LSU Bama playing in the title game resulted in the college football playoff kind of being pushed. So yeah, you just kind of need that kind of thing to happen to motivate everybody to never want to see that again. Dick come full circle that, you know, the right-minded college football fans out there, there's not, there's not enough of them. They're outnumbered by the, the maniacs, the woke college football fans. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to whenever it rolls around here, uh, Alabama, South Carolina, that's gonna be interesting. And then, um, anyone playing Tennessee, anyone playing Tennessee, like uh, it's just all downhill. It's skidding down the mountain. Yeah, uh, at Tennessee right now. Yeah, just from like the the hater age, Schadenfreude standpoint, like those are going to be excellent watches. Legitimate college football fan though, uh, Notre Dame Georgia. That's going to be a great game. Yes. No. Yeah. I think I have a friend that's going to go to Athens, Notre Dame grad. That'll be that'll be really really neat. I I, I don't I don't know that Notre Dame's the team they were last year, and I don't even know how good they were last year. So I, I expect Georgia to take that one, but. It's good that we have some good college football where it's not conference play. Yeah, you know, I watched the I watched parts of the Notre Dame Louisville game, which was on Monday, which was on Labor Day itself, uh, just because football is on and got to watch it. So um, I was impressed though. I, th- I think Notre Dame, just the size of their players, like or the, the recruiting job they've done there to the development is really good. I just think Ian Book is completely flawed as a quarterback. He is prone to wanting to scramble with it. He does not make he doesn't even make like a single read. He knows what he's going to do and his eyes telegraph the play every single time. So um, he's not going to get the job done. Certainly not against Georgia. Yeah. I mean, he's only like five eleven. He uh, listed it like six feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they were like, if he's making them long for Brandon Winbush, we've really come full circle there, but he was good out of, out of the box, but uh, yeah, they ultimately, they, there's no reason for them to not have a good quarterback at Notre Dame. So that's the yeah, piece. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little tricky. I think also you pair his shortcomings with Brian Kelly has not been known to be a great tactician and a great in-game adjustments head coach. I think he's a solid motivator, program runner, recruiter, probably developer as well. But um, book, but they've got a very solid quarterbacks coach. I sit next to a guy at work that is a legitimate Notre Dame football fan. And um uh, one of their former quarterbacks, I think Tommy Reese is his name, is the quarterbacks coach. Uh, they do a good job. It's just Book has not taken to the development. So, oh, ouch. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have a well. What we thought was a really tough schedule. I mean, they have at Georgia, which will be a indeed a tough game. But at Michigan, doesn't look like it quite as 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 tough as a, of an opponent as we once thought. And Stanford at Stanford don't know what to make of them yet um so like they they could come out as a one loss team if if they meet their potential and, and book and you know be a one and a half read quarterback as opposed to a one read and look like upset georgia then they might have punched their ticket or at least they will you know they'll make it all very interesting toward the end of the year so if, if they beat georgia and they yeah they could afford one loss and like they're right there yeah exactly uh which that then puts a little bit of pressure on Clemson to not have a slip up game. And again, like no one, no one on this show, no one in Clemson nation is expecting any type of Clemson slip up this year. But again, Notre Dame would be right there to kind of crash the party. Yeah. And you know, the, you know, the outcome from last year would sit in the, in the committee's mind. It shouldn't, but it will. Yeah. I think it should. (laughs) It It should. Yeah. Um, Cool, man. Well, uh, let's put a wrap on the show here. Want to take a moment to plug the podcast. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and for continuing to subscribe and support us. Uh, we've gotten a lot of great engagement in our Facebook and Twitter social media presence. So appreciate that. Um, if you've not yet done it, we would appreciate you going over to iTunes to leave us a review. Uh, those reviews help us out and be discovered by other Clemson fans looking for good podcast content. So that'll mean a lot to us please tell a friend as well. Word of mouth has definitely helped uh, us to grow our subscriber base over time. So we appreciate that. Um, in terms of plans coming up, uh, we're going to continue to interview folks. Uh, we will be getting Bama Dozer 
here to account for his sins as an Alabama football fan in answer to the ass whooping that we put on them in the national championship game. Uh, he ran out of the stadium before we got to hang out after the game. We hang out, hung out before the game, Cody. I'm pretty sure you met him. Yep. And uh, yeah, he got the hell out of there. Probably a wise decision by him, but we'll bring him back on the show. Um, looking to get QT back on as well. We haven't had him on since right after National Signing Day in February. So uh, we'll be very much looking forward to catching up with him on recruiting. There are a number of signings that happened over the weekend in the 2021 class. Obviously, 2020 is stocked and looking great. So I uh, really want to get QT's take on how the 2021 class is also starting to come together. And uh, yeah, just bring Ben and Sam back on the show. Uh, we've obviously got the Syracuse game coming up. I think we haven't spent <laughs> as much time on this recap show talking about the Keeps, but they were handled by Maryland. Uh, they're not the same team without Dungy, and I, they also lost some pieces on defense. So I'm expecting a pretty handy win up there in upstate New York, uh, which Ben will be at the game. Yeah, it'll be – well, the Caradome will be electric. That's what I've heard. So they're, at least they picked a good game. Yeah, it just sucks because uh, I think that ESPN game day would have been there. It probably would have been a more electric atmosphere had Syracuse even played Maryland close, but they they just got buried. So I think it's hard enough to get Syracuse fans amped up about football. It's a basketball school through and through. It's even a bigger lacrosse school than it is football. So um, we'll see. There's going to be orange people in orange gear in that stadium <laughs> one way or another. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, expect more podcasts coming your way soon. Please let us hear from you. We'd be happy to read out questions, answer to your questions on the air. Um, if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, let us know. Uh, make sure you're out there. We're not just being listened to by bots. That'd be great. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Thanks one more time. And as always, go Tigers. I'm not putting that cheer thing in. <laughs> I don't have time for that. Sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs>